Welcome to the finale of Finding Our Way Season 3. We started this season saying that we'd be sharing stories and conversations from the precipice. From people, thinkers, feelers, poets, organizers who are towing the edge. Feeling for, dreaming for what comes next. And we hope this has been just that. From Alok, Richie, Jamaica, Jenny, Alicia, Sonia, we thank each of them for bringing the path into clear view. So one of our favorite things to do each season is to actually get questions from you all, from our community. We want to know what you've been thinking about, what your reflections are from the season, from the episodes that you've been listening to. So right now we're actually going to read some of those questions and I'm going to do my best to offer answers or at least hopefully some helpful questions to your questions. I am really excited because this time we are switching it up a bit and I'm going to be joined by our other co-producer on the podcast, Devin Delania. Welcome, Devin. What, it, what does it feel like to be on this side of the podcast making? Thank you so much for having me. It feels very exciting to be on this side of the mic where the magic really happens for this podcast and it feels super sweet to be here to celebrate the end of season three with you. Thanks for being here. It's fun to have you. We have so many big questions for you. Are you ready to dive in? Yes, let's do it. All right. Our first question comes from Lau Molliver, and I hope I'm pronouncing their name right. I've learned about embodied practices to ease anxiety and soothe trauma, yet it seems to resurge so often, and I'm curious about what you shared, Prentice, that oppression is the concentration and distribution of trauma. What do you feel and think about embodying trauma while in the healing journey? What practices arise to understand and resist oppression while caring for healing trauma? And what does the body do in all of this? What do you think about that, Prentice? Thank you, Lau, for the question. And um, I have a feeling it's a question or a couple questions that I I think a lot of folks will relate to. Um, There's a few things that I want to offer in the way of responding to the question, probably not an answer per se. One of the things I say often about embodiment practice or practices are that, and I'm not necessarily saying this is what you meant, Lao, but I want to use it as an opportunity to say this, that our practices won't necessarily alleviate things right away or forever, that embodiment to me is more about developing a relationship with your felt sense and being able to explore what your body longs for, what your body has been holding, um, express what's necessary to feel what is, that embodiment practices bring me into deeper relationship with my body and with my being. And I would say, as I do practices, I am opening up myself to become a body that can feel what is. So almost like I'm widening my body to be able to hold, be with, feel what is actually true for me. I think sometimes in our, especially the way I think social media condenses our communication with each other, that sometimes it can feel as though our practices are almost like um, things we do when we feel anxious or things we do when we feel depressed. And obviously embodiment can be 
helpful in a lot of ways for the different ways that we experience distress. And embodiment to me is a way of inhabiting my life. And that is responsive to moments of distress, but also it's, it's how I engage with my own energy, my own feeling, my own life. So I, I want to start there. The other part of your question, I think the second part of your question around oppression. So yeah, one of the things that I teach and sort of begin to understand through my organizing work was that we can think about oppression as a structural, uh, systemic, enforced set of behaviors and consequences that certain people experience. And that's really important for us to be able to look systemically at actions that are taken or how our institutions reinforce certain ways of thinking. But as I started to do embodiment work and therapy, I started to understand that, oh, the, the, what happens through oppression is that certain bodies are intended to receive a concentration of traumas through the kind of manufacturing of poverty, through violence against communities, police violence, whatever it may be, that this is kind of a concentrating of traumatic experiences into certain communities, certain communities that our society has deemed as unworthy for whatever reason or other for whatever reason. And it doesn't mean that all communities or all individuals might not experience trauma. I think many of us will and do, regardless of where you are kind of positioned inside of society. But it means that the actual structure and operation of the society concentrates and maybe has historically concentrated traumatic experiences into certain communities. And when we think about how trauma moves across time, this starts to create a real crisis, a generational crisis, a future crisis for specific communities. Now, how that shows up in our everyday is absolutely, I think, to what you're pointing to, a kind of persistence in whatever distress you might be experiencing. It's not so easy to go to a therapist and heal and then suddenly everything's okay in your life when there's a kind of persistence to oppression, a, a historical precedent and a historical pressure to the oppression you feel. So that's why it's so important, I think, for us to be deeply engaged in our transformative work, be deeply engaged in our embodiment practices as much as we are deeply engaged in what I think of as world-changing work, because that is also healing for us to reclaim our agency and our ability to transform the systems around us and to alleviate a lot of the distress that many of us are feeling and have felt across time. So I really just want to say to you, Lau, it is not on you as an individual to be able to heal from what might be persistent oppression. I want to say that to whoever might be listening. But I think what we can do is come together, work together, and transform the things that continue to oppress us into life-giving institutions that actually serve us more. I hope that answers your question. What do you think, Devin? Yeah, I think what you're speaking to is the value and importance of collective healing and that inside of healing, trauma, and oppression, we just need our people, we need other folks, we need loved ones and folks in our lives who are going to come along with us on our healing journeys. And it's so crucial. And often 
what oppression does is really robs us of community or tells us that we should be able to heal alone or in isolation, but it's just really not true. I just really appreciate that question. Thank you, Lau. Are you ready for question number two? I'm ready. I'm ready. That first question was really rich. Okay, so this next question comes from Jackson Brooks Sharp. And Jackson is saying that in the last couple years, I've been heavily deconstructing my faith, political values, and my beliefs about life itself. And it has been liberating and disorienting. I feel like I let go of too much too soon, and I don't know how to ground myself. I don't regret what I've let go of at all, but I feel like it collapsed faster than I could rebuild. I don't have enough to hold on to anymore, and I want to know how to feel whole again. Wow, Jackson. Thank you for that question and that reflection and what sounds like really depthful work. Um, years ago, I think probably, let's just say 15. I think I now always say everything was 15 or 20 years ago, um, but I really stopped doing the math. But somewhere in that range, I was going through this really challenging period in my life and I felt incredibly isolated alone, like everything in my life was just coming apart at the seams. And I remembered one night I was crying, just inconsolable crying. And it was almost like an epiphany. I could see, and I hope this makes sense to folks listening, but all the interlocking belief systems inside of me, I almost saw them as structure, like the structure of a building, the parameters in which I thought um, which was shaped by the religion I grew up in, um, my kind of beliefs about what made a good person, um, my own fears, the insecurities and doubts that I had accumulated from my family, from myself. It's like I saw the bones of what I thought I was in this really revelatory moment. I hope it doesn't sound too strange, but yeah, I hope mostly that you can relate to it. And it was overwhelming for me. It felt like everything came undone. But I feel really grateful because not too long after that, I think I started meditation practice or I was in it around that time. And it became an anchor for me to find a place, even if everything around me in my life was falling apart. And even if everything around us is actually changing or decaying, there was a place in me that was present, that was constant, that was deep and quiet and observant. And for a long time, that's the most I had, um, but that was more than I had ever had, um, that kind of anchor and seat within myself. So I have a lot of compassion for you, Jackson, as you're going through this moment of upheaval. And I think my offering to you would be kind of reflection on what are the practices that are anchoring you inside of yourself and inside of your felt sense. Cause that is when everything's awry, it can be a very orienting place, not a hundred percent of the time, but if possible, it could be a really orienting place to find your breath, to find your center, to notice how you feel. And that can be a place to begin to rebuild a foundation or a structure that makes sense for your life, for your values, for what you feel like is important in this moment. So I would offer that. Is there anything you want to offer, Devin? 
I just so appreciate the vulnerability in this question. It feels so relevant and relatable. And I think it really speaks to this place that in the lineage that you and I met in Prentice, there's this concept called opening. And it is the place inside our healing journeys when things really start to, um, like Jackson's saying, unravel or uproot, like these old practices, these old behaviors, um, these old ways of being start to shift and change. And it can be so wild and unruly and disorienting and oftentimes kind of scary. So it is such a necessary part of our healing when we are starting to move towards the things that we envision for our lives and our future. And I just really appreciate you offering the practice of presence and breath and the reminder that our bodies are really home base and the place that we can return to as we build a new vision for our lives. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Devin. All right. Our next question comes from CM in North Carolina. Oh, shout out. Yeah. Shout out to North Carolina. Mm -hmm. So CM took the self-guided embodiment basics course from the Embodiment Institute and in particular really loved the arc of transformation graphic. CM says, it gave me comfort in knowing that it's okay if I'm not in a space of connection with others right now and that I don't have to be in all the places of healing at one time. I feel like I want to take space for building my relationship with my body and a bit of distance from others, especially family where I carry a lot of feelings of obligation. I need the space to do my own healing, but I worry that they see me as being isolated, standoffish, or rude. I also live with my parents and I'm around family a lot. So what I don't have in physical distance, I try to create an emotional space, but I sometimes feel guilty. Any thoughts on how to create space for healing without worrying that you're making others feel put off? And is there a risk to becoming too isolated? Phew, there's a lot in there. I, I think, you know, this is coming from my experience in my own personal life at this moment. I think... The first thing is to accept that you worry, to accept that you feel guilty. And I know that seems really simple, but I, I have just lately been noticing how we really, really skip over that. So I'm so glad you took the self-guided course through the Embodiment Institute. And one of the things we talk about is being with what is, being with ourselves as we are. And it sounds nice. It's like a poetic statement. <laughs> It's actually so challenging and inside of it is so many moves. And one that has been really important for me lately is to accept and look at all the things I'd rather not do that I do. All the things that I wish I did differently. And I think it's, it's, it's to me, the foundation of compassion. I think it's especially important if you are trying to do your work and negotiate boundaries inside of close quarters where there might be a lot of activation and you might be contending with people's stories about what it means that you are taking the space that you need. I think the first step is really accepting and acknowledging that sometimes that has an impact on you. Sometimes we can want to move forward to center as though it's an absence of these reactivities or, or discomfort um, when it's more the inclusion of all those things. So I want to just offer you that first. I can't really point you in the direction of how to do those things without feeling these things, but I can point you more in the direction 
of how to acknowledge and accept those things and maybe even come to understand their origin or what they're trying to take care of in you. I think the last thing I'll say here, and I, I do hope this is helpful, as you're engaging your work and coming to accept what might be true for you, it might also be a time to really become, I don't know what the right word is, like cultivating your own integrity, um, which means how do I tend to my fullness? How do the relationships I'm around feed and how can I offer for my fullness, my intactness? Uh, Where are relationships requiring me to be smaller, break parts of myself, like be different than what I authentically am? And where am I requiring that of other people? And to really seek intactness, to seek integrity and your connections. And I think you might, in some regard, find really beautiful interactions from um, really moving from that place. And you might also find that it rubs people the wrong way. And I think one of the greatest things that boundaries have taught me is to sometimes let people have their stories. That it's really hard to be about your healing work while managing other people's stories about what it means. Now, obviously, we have obligations and care, and we want to tend to that as much as makes sense for us and where we are. And there's relinquishing or renegotiating how much other people's stories will change our course. Um, so I want to offer that to you just to be in that dance. It's very dynamic. It's not one thing or the other, um, but a responsive dance every day to where you are and where your relationships are with people. And to the last point you made about isolation, you know, one of the things that we really hold true at the Embodiment Institute is that healing is really relational, um, that there is a relational component to it. It's like when we are transforming, we especially know it through how we show up in our relationships, how our relationships feel, the texture of those relationships. So relationships are really central and sounds like you are developing a relationship with your own self and your needs, your longings, your boundaries, and that can be a part of the journey. So just because you're in one place now doesn't mean that you will be there forever. There may be things about how you do relationship that are trying to heal and that will, when you're ready to open up, transform how you do relationship in the future. I hope that's helpful. Okay, I think that was the last question we're going to do today. Devin, thank you for joining me here in this conversation. We're going to shift now to a different segment in this episode. I always start, as you all probably know, each episode with the question, where are we? Where are we now? And I wanted to take a little time to answer that from our perspective on this podcast and this project that we call Finding Our Way. This podcast started as a passion project for this very small team. Um, We're grateful for its success, how many people it has touched, and all the beautiful and generous feedback you have offered us over these couple years. And so much has changed for each of us individually, professionally, in doing this podcast, and we're really grateful for it. Um, As some of you may know, I am at this moment, this very, very moment, working on my first book, 
um, which I'm really excited about, and it is due in the not-so-distant future. Um, I'm also a parent to an almost 11-month-old who is learning to run and say things like dog and wolf a lot. So um, I am really occupied with some really beautiful gifts in my life right now. And I also started this organization called the Embodiment Institute that Devin Delania works with me on. I'm really excited about that. So I have a lot of beautiful new gifts in my life at this moment. Eddie right now is working on getting multiple TV shows produced, which we are really excited about. And Devin is working on a film and is also a program coordinator at the Embodiment Institute. So because of all of that, and I know that you can feel how much that is from what we just shared, we are going to be taking an indefinite pause on the podcast so that we can do these other projects that are calling us in this moment. But we first wanted to just thank you all for this journey, for being with us over these couple of years. And as we kind of enter this pause or this break, we wanted you to hear from the whole team on just what the last couple of years has meant for us. So what am I proud of in this show? Wow, I am really proud of the impact that we've been able to make as a team, as a very small team. I am proud of how people have found it useful, how people have brought it into their classrooms, into their study groups, listened to multiple episodes and given us really amazing feedback. I'm really proud of how this show has touched people and found its way into people's hearts. You know, I'm proud of proud of what we've been able to do in such a short time with the amount of resources that we've had. Like, I think this was such a labor of love all around. You know, when, when P first came to me and said, I, I want to make a podcast, when, when Devin came on and actually made that functional and not just an idea in our head for so long. I think about the time in which we made it and how much of a lifeline, you know, it was for me to be able to come together with, with the team and create something that we could pretty immediately see the impact of in such a critical time with the pandemic, with uprisings and with folks just trying to figure out how to really feel connected and be connected and the way in which I think we answered that need. I'm really so proud of creating three phenomenal seasons of this show and you know, when we set out, we were intentionally trying to create something that would stir and impact and shift people. And I really feel like we achieved that. You know, I'm proud of the way that it still is moving through folks. And I'm proud every time we hear somebody say that they are re-listening and finding something new. I think we created something really special. One of my favorite parts, uh, that's a question I get a lot. I find it really, really hard to answer. Honestly, I think some of my favorite parts are some of the stuff that ended up on the cutting room floor. Just the the community building and the like coming together that happens that I think you can feel in the episodes, but you know, being able to witness and be part of that that I, you know, always love to to see and and to to be part of. A lot of community on and off mic. I am the kind of person that when I'm in the moment with someone or 
you know, they're sharing with me uh, a concept from their being, from their soul. I can't measure that against another moment. One of my favorite parts of the podcast was getting the first listen on the episodes. And because I was never in the interviews, it was this really exhilarating, exciting thing to hear it for the first time and listen to the conversations unravel and then dropping them on Monday mornings and really watching how our community was responding in the comments, um, in our reviews and seeing just like how big it resonated and how far it rippled out and is so one of my favorite things. I have honestly found moments of spirit of depth in each episode <laughs> I have cried, I have laughed, I have dreamt about the episodes later. Honestly, I'm not even just being, I don't know, kind. I, I don't think I can, and I, I don't really understand why I need to. <laughs> um, favorite things. I love every single episode of this podcast. Next up, as I mentioned, I'm writing a book, and I am really daunted by the task of writing a book and so grateful and humbled that I get to write a book. I am currently working on uh, How We Breathe, which is a podcast produced by Bold, which is Black Organizing for Leadership and Dignity. You know, that's a podcast where we talk to really the on the ground Black organizers who are pushing forward many of the issues that, you know, we talk about on this podcast, but uh, we get to hear the stories of folks who are in the day-to-day kind of hustle and grind of, um, you know, trying to create this better world that we all want to see. Uh, But you can find us at We Breathe Bold on Instagram. I just completed filming a short film that I wrote and directed and I'm working on post-production on that. And I'm just really excited about the offerings that we're developing at the Embodiment Institute for 2023 and 2024 and looking to the ways that we're growing and transforming next year. Yeah, and I'm also doing creative producing at Fieldhouse Productions. We are a production studio really focused on creating TV um, that tells the stories for and from the communities that we care about. So hopefully you'll see my name on TV very soon. Uh, we have some projects that I'm, I'm really, really excited about, and I think they're stories that haven't you know, been on TV before, so I'm, hopefully you all will be watching that very soon. But yeah, you can keep up with me generally uh, at Eddie Ray on Instagram, E-D-D-I-E-R-H-E-A. It's usually pictures of my dog, so that's a creative project also. My work at the Embodiment Institute is what I'm going to be focused on for this next period of time, writing this book and uh, building out this team of brilliant teachers and practitioners and change makers. What do I feel grateful for? Well, many things. (laughs) I feel grateful for practice. I feel grateful that I have practices that I return to that hold me, that change me, that move me. And I feel grateful for the connections. I'm grateful for what we've been able to create. Like I said, I think this show has been a really special piece of people's lives. You know, I think it took all of us to make it happen and for it to be what it has been. So I think ultimately I'm really grateful for this team. As much as I've loved the outcome of this podcast, I think the thing that I'm most grateful for is getting to work with Prentice and Eddie. I feel so grateful to Prentice for envisioning this podcast and curating this lineup of legendary guests and for making space for these 
really vital conversations. I'm so inspired by Eddie's work for editing all these three seasons and for crafting these episodes and making them so thoughtful and emotional and beautiful. This podcast was really a portal into a much richer relationship with you both. And that's the thing that I have the most appreciation for. For every guest that has come on and shared so much of themselves and been part of this journey and this family, it's really been amazing what they've been able to weave together, what we've all been able to, to weave together. Yeah, so I'm grateful. Grateful for the tapestry. It has been a healing for me uh, to be received, to be engaged with, to be felt on the level that we have through this podcast. Um, I'm deeply, deeply grateful and reverent for that. There are so many other people behind this team that have made this podcast possible. It's not just me, Eddie Devin, um, but it also has been Miranda Luis and Amy Pignon who have come on for season two and season three to help us edit because editing is a really big and daunting task. Justin Shepard, who transcribed all of the episodes for season three. Thank you so much, Justin. Thank you to each of the guests who agreed to join us for these episodes and really share your profound wisdom and insight. The Groundwork Project team for your background support. Our Patreon subscribers for helping sustain us. We're so, so grateful you have really made this podcast possible. To everyone who has listened, who has commented on our posts, engaged in these conversations, written us emails and offered reviews, thank you. It has really meant so much to each of us. We hope that you keep returning to these episodes and letting them metabolize and change the way we are collectively in the world. We do have the Finding Our Way sessions, which are 11 pre-recorded practices from our guests over the past three seasons. And you can, of course, stay engaged with us on Patreon. We have visual journals of these conversations with reflection questions. It's a great way to keep deepening your learning. Please keep sharing these episodes with your communities, with your families, with your friends. Anyone who hasn't yet listened to an episode, please do share this with them. We thank you so, so much for your support, and we hope you take good care. Thank you.